Welcome to UberCube, the podcast where we discuss all things Cube, but with refreshments. This is your host, Anthony Adams, a.k.a. UberBear, and I'm joined tonight by a special guest host. It's a me, Magic. <laughs> <laughs> Welcome, Magic. Welcome to the show. It's uh, If you guys don't recall, uh, we've, we actually had a great time discussing the Fake Cube on a previous episode, and if you haven't checked out that episode, please check that out. Please check out that cube. We will have that in the show notes, along with all of... Uh, May's amazing cube journeys. I mean, spectacular curation will make you totally redefine what you believe is the ceiling and a floor of a cube. Would you b- agree with that, man? Uh, sure. We'll go with that. New ceilings, new floors, total reconstruction of cube theory. I mean, May. that... Make your goblin... Make goblins great again. The whole <laughs> faction will come to life. I mean, that's, that's just the nature of trying to build a low-power cube. And in that previous episode, we talked about how changelings are changeling glue. I mean, they are the glue, the tie that binds... Yeah, they are. They are, in fact. You made me rethink that. I'm looking at that in my horror Mm. genre cube. But this is not what we're talking about during this episode, is it, May? What are we talking about? Today, I really wanted to talk about bad problem that happens within the cube cube community and magic as kind of a whole is that players and curators tend to over-tinker their cubes. They tend to over-tinker their decks. And I think it is a problem. I know that I'm guilty of it. I'm sure you're guilty of it. I think that deep down, if we're all in, if we're all honest with each other, we're kind of over tinkering our things, and I think we need to reevaluate that. So we're going to break it down, but before we go too deep into the subject, we're going to do the thing that we always do here at UberCube, and we're going to enjoy our libations of the show. We'll start out with May, since she's our special guest. What do you have? In uh, I made a type of whiskey sour. It's It's kind of disappointing, but... Can't go wrong with some Jim Bean and some <laughs> lemonade. <laughs> uh, I'm going extremely out of my comfort zone, and I may have actually mistakenly grabbed this drink. It is a St. Benedict's breakfast oh. coffee and oatmeal double, which sounds like I'm drinking a milkshake with a beer. It's a Belgian-style dark ale. I'd, I'd drink it. I'm going to crack this open, and I may be grabbing another beer here shortly. All right, so let's get to our topic. So as we alluded to just a moment ago, uh, May was speaking about... We're going to call this one Upgrades or Over-Tinkering. And we do realize these two ideas can meld together. I mean, it's it's uh, <laughs> it can either be an artistic display or a way that you, uh, I guess, get rid of your bad day at work. Or it could possibly be, uh, I got a new set that came out. Or maybe it could be, oh, man, I got some feedback. And they said, why are you running this card? And they gave you like some real intel as to why you chose to place this inside of your environment. Or perhaps you should not have in your environment. That it's either a detriment or that it's adding or should be added to the environment. May, do you have anything to add to that idea before I start going down this path? Uh, absolutely. I think that when it comes to over-tinkering, I think one of the major causes behind that is that we tend to get new changes in information, new changes in, changes in data, and it is easy for us to overcorrect the issue by being like, okay, uh, this did not perform well this last session, so let's just go ahead and spend the next couple hours figuring out how I'm going to fix it instead of realizing the game naturally has variation, and sometimes you just gotta gotta let it settle. Yeah, so we're we're not using a uh, we're not using an actual model or any kind of scientific data or analytics or any of the above, but rather we're using Christian sitting to the left of me said, "Why are you running werewolves in this cube? I don't think they're very good." Next thing you know, you're going home, you're feeling emotional, and you go, I'll either <laughs> I'll teach them, and I'm going to add more werewolves, or I'm going to remove all the werewolves from my cube. And I know that's an extreme circumstance, but that's how this can play out. Would you yep. agree, May? No, that's absolutely how it is. Where yep. What ended up happening with, like, say, nights in my environment, where it got mentioned several times to me over the span of my cube's lifespan of, why are there knights in here? I would much rather this be a warrior. Why can't you just be a warrior? <laughs> And I was like, all right, all yeah, right, yeah, all right, yeah. I heard so, you. So one thing you have to learn is, and we talked about this on a previous episode, and, and we're kind of, we've got a script and we have a nice little f- layout for this, but this was meant to be kind of a meta conversation where we've got curator, curator conversation. But what you do get is you, do, you have to learn how to process yep. feedback as a curator and take it within context because oftentimes you have, perhaps you have a vision for your cube. You have a theme and I'll, I'll use an example. And this is something that May and I actually discussed amongst ourselves during our previous episode, and I have previously apologized. It was for, was it, uh, what was your ultimatum? Your yeah. Ultimatum? Was it cruel ultimatum? That card got cut. <laughs> yeah. And, 
Yeah, but it costs like it was. It was like three Uncastable. black pips, three black pips, two blue pips. But you know what? It wasn't because I'll, I'll redact that statement because I said it was uncastable. But then later, after Chris Christian, our good friend here, was so enamored with your cube design that he cloned and built it himself. We later that week went to a local brewery and I cast it like three times. Nice game because I well because I wasn't taking into context the speed of your environment. Mm-hmm. I was taking it from, say, I was combining my EDH brain from what I know about that particular card, and I was also combining it with my environments are tend to be a little bit faster, whereas yours is probably about two turns on a different clock than mine, and I wasn't taking into account that the card that I said at the time, my feedback was, this is grossly uncastable. And, and I do appreciate that you said that, and Stu did fortify my stance, but then I have to give you the feedback that later down the road, I did in fact cast that multiple times, cast it comfortably. And if anything, if anything, strangely enough, it was actually too powerful. Wow. Because the effect that it did would laid waste to my opponents. It, they were a little mad, actually. It, it caused salt. So I'll tell you that removing it based on salt is perfectly acceptable. Good thing I got I removed like anyways. Castable than I, yeah, but I, I apologize. You put Crixus Charm in there instead. Uh, I had Crixus Charm in there for a bit, but I ended up... Crixus Yeah, I ended up cutting it because... The three colors just kind of were no longer cutting the mustard, as you like to say. Yeah, so it's the it's the understanding how to process feedback as a curator and also kind of coaching or teaching your players to giving them a background or giving them a story or trying to give them story elements as to what you're trying what kind of story are you trying to tell in your environment. So you're in your fake cube, if I had to ask you right now to go forty thousand feet in the air and give me a synopsis of the story you're trying to tell so that what I should expect as a player, how would you describe it? Uh, it's a very slow, it's very subtype matters cube that cares a lot about flavor and a lot of the planes like Lorwyn and, you know, by proxy Shadowmoor, Eldraine, and whatnot. And a lot of those themes are based around flavor and Vorthos reasonings rather than just straightforward performance reasonings. But... I think that the main identity of the cube is that it is subtype themes with a lot of other adjacent sub-themes that are fun, dynamic for both new players and for uh, established players. You will hear May and I use both the term subtype and factions. We'll be using that instead of uh, a word that we feel, we both agreed that we feel has uh, grown to have a negative connotation, and that would be the word tribal that we are now deciding as a group that we're going to move past and we're going to do a replacement with that. So as you hear these terms, we're going to refer to the groups as their subtype and or the factions. And I'm sure there's other synonyms that we can put into place. But if you feel free to educate yourself on the internet, on the story of why we're choosing to no longer use that word, it'll make more sense. But that's a that's a little anecdote that I felt necessary to throw in there because we, we may be speaking along those lines yep. often. Uh, May, do you have anything to add to that subject before we uh, move on? If the subject comes up, I'll make sure to notate that it is the card subtype rather than just, you know, the connotation of it, if that makes sense. Yeah, since. yeah. We're just choosing to take the... We're choosing to take the high road on this particular yep. subject. It was something that I recently educated myself on, and I have to admit that... I, I learned. I'm getting older, and I do learn. That's what we should always What? Do. You mean old dogs can um, learn new tricks? Crazy. <laughs> yeah, I am a 45-year-old dog, so if you multiply times seven, I, I'm, I'm in multiple dog centuries at this point. Uh, so Barks and let's dust. Let's talk about the... You have now received this feedback, so I gave you the feedback. So we, we gave you what I thought was valid feedback at the time, and then you did make a... You made a correction in your cube based on our... Our discussion, we all agreed that maybe the, the potential, the pips that were involved in casting Cruel Ultimatum perhaps was overbearing, and so that you had to make yep. some adjustments. And I feel like that was more of an analytical stance, and we discussed it as a group. Whereas it wasn't like an emotional response from cubing on a Friday night, and you did not see, say, the werewolf faction play to its best ability, so you've now decided, well, i got to go home and either add more werewolves or remove more werewolves and try to balance the scales. And what we're kind of moving on to in that particular subject is when you're trying to balance your cube, I will add that all cubes, unless you're locking it, unless you're time vaulting your cube, you're you're trapping it and saying, all right, it will not move past the lower one. This is the block. I will not add anything else. Sure. But otherwise, all of my cubes are living mm-hmm. cubes. May, would you speak to that? On I that mean, subject? my cube's absolutely living. It's constantly getting updates, mm-hmm. but because I, my cube has gotten a following online, surprisingly, how did I get here? 
But because I have a following, it kind of keeps me honest because I can't just willy-nilly throw in updates anymore. Correct. So as we do that, too, as you get visibility, some of mine have gotten a, a number of – like, for instance, a good thing that happened to me recently is we went to KubeCon – Uber Bear's Artifact Cube was featured, and they forced us to lock yep. it. Now, that, that, made, that made me pause for a week and stare, and I was chomping at the bit, like literally salivating like Pavlov's dog, <laughs> wanting to get in that cube and make changes. But I'm like, no, they will not allow it. All right, fine, fine, fine. And the minute I got back, I got all this really great it, – it, it, it actually was a good thing. It allowed me to pause, breathe, take the cube as is. It made me panic up to the uh, up until that moment because, you know – Despite despite the matter, I was going to put my cube in the hands of, at the time, almost 200 players, at least let mm. them see it, right? And then it also was featured on the internet. And that, that can be a kind of a frightening thing a little bit. And I, so I was trying to get it as tuned as possible, and that I knew that I'd get feedback. And we're going to talk about some of that feedback I received shortly. But when I came back, I made some changes, and that's where we're kind of talking about the tipping of the scales, or over-adding or subtracting from your cube to try to balance either a faction or a subtype or just an archetype in general by adding and subtracting too much. And one of the things that will cause that more frequently than not is the shiny new toys. Uh, Wizards of the Coast, and while I am appreciative of the every two and a half, three months of a brand new set, uh, as, as I said, myself in May, it's over. It's it's frankly overwhelming, probably for my personality and yours too, because I like the shiny new toys, the squeaky new things. But I'm starting to be more. I want to say I'm being more mature in my decision making. At one point, it would be like you got a new set and it comes out with two, what does it come out like 230 cards, give or take, or 180. It doesn't matter. I, I would say, well, there's 30 cards going to go in here just because they've got vampires right. in there. Now I've kind of said, well, if it isn't broke, don't fix it. I'm going to add a few of them, but not all of them, to try to unbalance it. I don't want to add too many of the different factions to tilt the scales on the performance of the cube by doing it erratically. So, which moves over to our next suggestion. Uh, So, when you, you can, when a new set comes out, you can order 15, 20 cards that seem like they may be interested in your cube without the intent of actually putting them in your cube. Uh, I've done that often, especially if they're affordable foils right. and whatnot, or they're cheap or 15 cent cards, and I'm all about it. Doesn't mean they have to go in, and, and then I can have them in a binder on standby. If I find out this card didn't perform to my expectations, then I can trade it out with another card and test them. So then I'm not doing a mass. So believe it or not, an unbalanced. I actually do have a solution that I've started implementing for my fake cube. I haven't really done it as much for my other cubes because I haven't been needing to update them as frequently, but. When it comes to the shiny new toys, it's easy to be like, oh, I want to try this in my environment. And instead of immediately just, oh, just going to throw it in a shipping order and just going to send it and I'm going to test it and it's going to be great. Instead, what I'm wanting to do is I will pull up my maybe board on Cube Cobra, slap it into the list, and then I'm just going to mull over it for like the next couple weeks or so. So that way I can kind of get used to the environment, get used to like whenever our next play session is with my pod and then feel like, okay, is this something that I want in this current play space rather than just immediately being like, send it, bring it to me, throw it in. Yes, that's real. Actually, that's pretty brilliant. I've never, I'll be honest with you, I've never used that function. I'll have to, I'll have to look at that. What I'll do is actually when I build out the show notes for this, I'll look that up the maybe board and I'll get some screen captures so that people can direct themselves. That's an amazing yeah. idea, actually. I, I, I like that very much. Yeah, I'm down. I'm like, down I have that. a list of I always wonder what? It sounds dumb, but I wondered what that was for, and I never used that function. So, yeah, that's cool. Getting back to the – so that's kind of the formulaic way of I order too many cards so that I can kind of trickle down or cascade into the cubes so that I'm not adding so many that I'm throwing off the Mm. environment. For example, I have Uber Bear's Artifact Cube, and at this point now, now, as I said this, it's 360 cards. I have added in give or takes – 12 to 15 new cards, but I took a long time studying them and I actually ordered them in waves, which was a, probably not the smartest shipping method that you could have done, but I did it on purpose because I kept kind of studying to see if I had cards that were, uh, I had received feedback from KubeCon. Mm-hmm. One would be, for example, Cauldra Complete, which I'm kind of jumping ahead on our script, but this is relevant. 
was a card that was benchmarked as way too powerful for my environment, and I do agree. I, I had put it in that particular cube environment under the context of my players, and we don't get to draft with the level of frequency that we did at KubeCon. So I had not had the opportunity to see that many drafts fire and actually see that card do as much damage. And basically, I heard it from all over the room. It wasn't like one player that gave me the feedback. I heard 20, 30 people saying, why are you running this card? Or, hey, I want to say, I want to say thank you. I just totally crushed my draft. I played Cauldron Compete, Complete and won. I Sometimes mean, <laughs> it feels good to stomp, but other times it feels bad to be stomped. But- yeah, and that was a real, that really, I should have caught it as an outlier. I think I definitely knew it was an outlier, but I chose to run it anyways. And I was trying to put countermeasures in the cube, like things that said exile and whatnot in there. But at the end of the day, if the card is so powerful, why am I adding so many countermeasure, uh, countermeasures or ways to combat a card because of singular cards? I'm actually so going to give you a little bit of pushback here, sense. believe it or not. Go so Nightpack Ambusher is in my fake cube. And it's one of those cards where, at first glance, you're like, this is kind of an outlier. This is a card that can take over the game if it's left unanswered. It's just a 4-4 flash that can make a bunch of wolves. But what people don't realize past first glance is that you have to alter your playstyle around it. It has demands that you have to play around in order to get that benefit. And while, yes, it can take over the game, in this environment... It's already tailored in such a way that if you just throw it in some random uh, green deck, you're not going to get huge benefits past it being a 4-4. But at first glance, it's easy to be like, okay, well, this seems like a big power outlier, but I would have never tried it if I were to create that line in the sand of, no, I'm not going to ever test the waters. So I'm going to push back a little bit. No, that's fair. That's fair. You do. I do believe in having cards that represent the ceiling and cards that represent mm. the floor. There's. It's actually. It's. It's. It's unavoidable. I don't want a flat yep. environment. But when new new cards come out, I'm always looking for an opportunity to upgrade or change and keep it popping fresh, if you will, for my group. But it does come at the risk of quote unquote unbalancing the scales. Or if the cube ran smoothly before, and you want to continue to update and refresh it, refresh it. It is a good idea to benchmark what cards you removed, you know, and, and Cube Cobra does an amazing job of this in your blog, but basically benchmark or note, annotate the cards that you removed from your cube and what you replaced it with on what dates, etc. I've recommended in a previous episode putting them in a binder, and it helps you to see if there's any outliers or if you, you know, tip the scales on a certain archetype, a subtype that starts taking over the group, or a faction, right, starts over overtaking the environment it's just a good idea to keep your eyes on it and that's where that feedback comes from and we talked about this in multiple episodes it's 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 definitely a social contract Mm -hmm. right you want to play with people who want to play your cube anyway so i mean it's not like they're going to be egregious and make statements but you do want when someone offers you uh advice on your cube and says why are you running this card you i I prefer it to be packaged as a problem solution if that makes sense before i before i start making my cuts and my changes and if you receive enough of that, I heard an old adage. It was, if someone calls you a horse, then, okay, whatever. But if another person calls you a horse, and you're like, okay. But if three people call you a horse, there's a good chance you might be a horse. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's certainly a way to look at it. So, to leap it back to one of our original uh, notes here, is that one of the reasons that we tend to over-tinker is just because we want people to have a fun experience. We care about our player experience, and when we take a lot of those criticisms or those immediate uh, comments about our cubes and their play experience and whatnot, we want to adjust it so that way they have fun. It's easy to have that emotional reaction. to calibrate the fun. Yeah. Yes, yes. We are always attempting to calibrate the fun for other players when fun is a purely subjective idea exactly. system anyways. And I've got all personality types in my group. I don't know if you do, May, but it, it can make a pretty pretty hard target sometimes. Uh, I definitely have a lot of different types of players that play my cube. So it helps getting oh, a yeah, lot of I've information. Got, I've got Timmy's and Johnny's and Spike's and all these other types and I couldn't even tell you and it's just it makes it really hard to find their fun level but then I try to just add and subtract now at the end of the day I am a firm believer is that we are the ones that are the we're the yep. artist we have the paintbrush the cur- the curator yep. does right and the feedback gets processed but it can be taken out of context 
to the environment where we're trying to do world development or tell a story with the Fey Cube or with the Horror Cube, or I've got a 180 uh, Munson Cube that's based off of Eddie Munson from Stranger Things, the Lord of Metal. So you have to listen to Metallica while you're playing it and Sepultura, and that's the. It's just the environment. So when I'm choosing my cards, it's based on that idea that I'm trying to paint. So then my players will have to kind of have a little bit of acceptance to that is the picture that I'm painting, you're coming into a world that I've made for you. In that case, like a, a, a Metallica concert, just picture that, right? So the cards aren't going to be the highest powered. So if you're a spike and you're wanting to come sit down and spike that draft, if you're looking for something that matches a MTGO or powered vintage cube, you, you won't find that in that environment. You're going to find some cards that are strong. Yes. Ceiling high. Yes. But you're not going to find the MTGO in my Munson cube. So I think it's a good idea. And my buddy Christian and I were talking about this recently about briefing your players on the story you're trying to tell so that when you receive the feedback, you know how to process they know they they understand the context. Yep. Does that make sense? I mean I also think that a large part of it yeah. is in a whole other conversation we should have another episode um at some point is how to satisfy your spikes. Because I recently got a bunch of spikes enter my pod. So <laughs> Yeah, I, I had that happen at KubeCon, and I was proud. It was different. I mean, I, I had a lot of people come over and tell me, you know, oh, man, I just beat face with Calder Complete, or another another person walked over to me, and it was pretty awesome. I was in the middle of a match, and they laid out five cards, and all I see is KCI, and then I think I see basically some, um, it was Walking Ballista, and I'm like, oh, okay, I see what you did there. And they were they were excited, like, achievement unlocked, and I'm in the middle of a match, but I'm seeing five cards fanned out to make some crazy infinite <laughs> combo, and I... I and I had to go, yeah, man, I did that on purpose. And I was thinking to myself, I didn't know <laughs> <laughs> Yep, totally intentional. I meant to do it. How'd you do that? Yeah, I, I did that. I did that. I did that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm glad you found it. Good job. But <laughs> Sure. <laughs> it was pretty amazing, actually. Yeah, it was pretty sweet. Um, so you're going to have, when you start adding new cards, and, or you're adding and tweaking and always trying to target that fun meter of other players, it does make us as curators subject to a slippery slope, right? right? Add too much, add too little, uh, tilt the scales on the performance of a archetype or a subgroup or a faction starts starts overtaking your environment. You start you add one too many spirits, and you never actually know what that point of failure is. You can try all you want, but it's really hard to know what that tipping point is. It only happens when it happens, and it can be, as May mentioned before, it can be in a closed single night Friday night. And you just see the spirits overrun you or the goblins overran you. Or that night, changelings were just the most bonkers thing I've ever seen in my life in the fake yep. cube, right? Uh, but you, you have to take that within context, which leads me to another idea that I do. I take notes. Notes are good. I, don't, I, ch I try to force myself not to go home and want to take out the spirit that you know Stu said was way too powerful, overtook him, couldn't deal with it. Rather, I'll make a note. I'll just take a little note, I'll type in my computer, and I'll say, you know, I saw it perform this way on this night. If I see it back, it's back to my horse comment. I saw it once, but if I see it twice, I see it three times, it might be a yep. horse. <laughs> so I try to be more calm, cool, and collected, if you will, cucumber-like. I think... So that I'm not doing this emotional I think up. to add on top of that, one of the biggest issues is that I think, in general, people do not give enough time for their decks to kind of settle in a bit. And you aren't going to get enough relevant information in one or two drafts. And it's certainly a different beast since we're, you know, we're enfranchised with the cube community. We have stuff on Cube Cobra. We have people drafting our cubes online. So we get just a constant stream of new data, which changes, you know, what we thought of. Oh, I see that you and a lot of people are ending up passing this up online. But then in person, it ends up getting like first or second picked in the pack, just as an example. And I think it's because you have to figure out what the context is, not only for your cube and your environment, but also whether or not that card is a zero-sum game in terms of um, the experience that it's providing. Yeah, so another thing that I'll do is if I'm overtaken by a card, if I have an experience, and, and, and a lot of times our drafts are abbreviated, 
maybe if we get six players, we'll do one v one, maybe two rotations, etc. Because some people are taking a little longer than others, and we want to get on some commander that night sure. kind of situation. But what we will do is, if you get completely decimated or beat down, excuse me, beat down by a deck that's got, let's just say, called Dragon right. Fleet in it, and you're u- and you're using that card, and Christian's telling me this card is too strong, it's too strong, it's too strong. Uh, what I'll do is I'll hand him my deck and we'll swap decks to see if I can use the countermeasures within his deck to beat beat the problem. And I realize that's got some bias to it because the problem has been flagged, but at least I can try to either duplicate the malfunction, if you will. That's my troubleshooting sure. talking. Or I can try to uh, see if it's, you know, if there was actually an answer that was being overlooked within the deck, a, a misunderstanding, right? Or maybe some feedback can happen. So you're not taking just one sided opinion. You're seeing the other half of the question. Right. Uh, it's just a suge- it's a suggestion that has been helpful. Enough. I think we've been talking a lot about like cuts in terms of making like immediate changes yeah. afterwards, but I think that there is also another yeah. type of over tinkering that tends to happen. Of hey, this is particularly strong, so I'm going to attempt to buff these other things, and that's what I tend to catch Movie, myself in. Yeah. Is oh hey, this particular yeah. archetype is strong. I'm going to try to buff these other archetypes to try to get them to keep up, and then what ends up happening is that. Yeah. Initially, Golgari mid-range package was kind of the dominant strategy for my cube, and then over time it started balancing out a bit more, and now it's we're starting to see that kind of balance that I wanted to see of, oh, well, sometimes Rakdos Goblins is going to come up, sometimes the Golgari mid-range is going to come up, sometimes just blue-white mill deck is going to come up, just as an example. You will, as a curator, a lot of times I will we'll use my werewolves as an mm-hmm. example. I have played multiple games where they've totally killed yep. me, right? I mean, I've been beat to death by werewolves. But they're also very inconsistent yep. in the day and night and all those things. But they're thematic and yep. they're beautiful and they're part of the story that I'm trying to do. And it's just a sacrifice that you choose to make as both a player and a curator when I explain to them that this is my world building. So there's a level uh, – Jason mentioned that in our math uh, episode or Dr. Brinkley where he realizes that that's not the best but he also has a passion for the color green and he's willing to accept the, the power downgrade ever so slightly but then i i as a curator i'm trying to beef them up too much and so you've got four tires on right. the car right but what happens when you start over inflating one mm-hmm. <laughs> you start pulling to the left really hard and it's, <laughs> you it's very easy to do and that's a good and it's easy to do through overcompensation so you have to be mindful of that so i do recommend and we talked about this before Using Cube Cobra's analytics, it has uh, embedded within it where you can do tables and you can do statistical analysis of your layout. You can see your averages and your standard deviation, which we talked about in our math mm-hmm. episode, which is a huge way, a huge method of seeing basically the differential between your mana values and how much your spread is between right. your mana values uh, to make sure that you're not, because I know it's just about, not just about the power level of the card, but the math also plays, a, the math also plays a huge part in your decision-making and that's what can tip your scales on your cube environment as well. Too many pits. Exactly. So. Any thoughts on that? I tend to be more of a follower okay. of fun yeah. rather than just strictly math where I am more likely to track, okay, this particular deck had this amount of feel-goods both playing and playing against, or this particular deck had a certain interaction. So, for example, I'm going to use my fake cube again, because it's just consistent and easy. But Mill, just as a flat example, is an archetype that I support in my cube. And... When it comes to Mill, there's a few different issues that can come together with it of sometimes the deck doesn't come together. Sometimes it's just not very consistent. Sometimes one player just gets completely blown out because they drew Fracture Sanity and then just a bunch of other miscellaneous Mill cards and completely blew somebody out of the game. And part of that... Yeah, I have a comment about that too because at KubeCon I actually got to play your Mill deck. And I I had one card left and they had one life and I was able to get the one life before they got my one card. Yay. (laughs) It was awesome. It was we were both sweating. Stu's like wanting to record it live because we're sitting there and the, and he almost so, got me. He almost got me. I you know how me. with Mark Rosewater's Drive to Works, he had one where he was talking about what was it? Standard case, whatever the term was that yeah, he no. used that describes basically whatever the majority case is and not the corner cases. 
okay. And the majority case of Mill creates a fun deck. It is fun to play around and interact with because it creates an interesting clock and an interesting dynamic for both sides of the table. Mill has to really fight to get those extra few cards milled out in order to win the game. And from the other side, then they realize this deck is existing in an, like an opposite axis of me. So I have to try to get my way around their control cards. And I have to understand right, right, that right, right. sometimes, because it's zero-sum, sometimes it is going to be blowout, sometimes it's just not going to do anything, but a majority of those games are somewhere in between, where you're it's very tooth-to-nail fighting of Mills trying to get out that last single card while you're trying to get them out of their last life point. Yeah, so that brings kind of the... When you're receiving that feedback on that scenario with life versus mill, you can see where... I guess it depends on what side of the fence you stand with the emotional response to the uh, the archetype or the play style of mm-hmm. milling, right? And so you have to take that within context. And one of the things that I have on here is notes is maybe they'll say, this archetype sucks, right? right? Well, then you have to be able to accept whenever I ask you why. Mm-hmm. Like... Why, May? Why would you say that? <laughs> what's your, what's your, what, May? May? Why, why? Why? And you, I want you to be able to give me a, you know, a legitimate, you know, counterpoint, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and if, and if you can convince me of that, maybe, maybe I'm willing to accept that maybe Mill isn't that exactly great, right. But the, but that feedback chain has to be a lot more cordial than exactly. Is <laughs> it needs to be something consistent. So problem solution based observations will stop curators from over tinkering and throwing off these cube environments that we love so much. Think of us as delicate creatures, yep. right? And we're artists. <laughs> we're all artists, and we're being told that our work is it didn't cut the mustard this mm-hmm. time around, right? So what do we do? We get more mustard. That's what <laughs> <laughs> we get more mustard. Bring in the tub. We get more mustard. Yeah, yeah. We get the tub of mustard. So yeah. So it's just kind of it's just a social contract that needs right. to happen. Uh, power outliers is one of the notes I had, and we kind of talked about that. There's a healthy amount of power outliers, and your ceiling and floor is gonna change drastically on based on right. Your cube it absolutely right? depends you on your speed, cube goals, and part of that is understanding: is this part of my cube goal of this card is supposed to be a power outliner? For example. Was that stupid wolf that I added for a while? It was like Hollowhenge Overseer, I think. No, Hollowhenge something. It was that big dumb wolf that makes wolves every every upkeep. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's a, a fantastic card, card but <laughs> but it was definitely a oh, power it was outlier. absolutely power outlier. But I was willing to test it, and I over tinkered because I was like, how far can I push wolves? So I sat down, yeah, and yeah, I was yeah, like, yeah. okay, I'm aware that I'm over tinkering. I'm aware that I'm over. Uh, I'm aware that I'm overextending what wolves are supposed to be doing, but I want to see how far I can push wolves before somebody finally starts being like, uh, hey, wolves kind of have stupid cards. (laughs) Maybe we should do what So then I'm going to ask you this question, and then I'm going to have you ask me the same question when we're done. So I'm going to start with this. May, when is it appropriate to upgrade or modify your cube? That's a great question. I think that it is appropriate to modify when you've had enough feedback. Like you said, after like a few times of being called a horse, you're probably a horse. And sometimes just keeping majority case in mind of majority of cases are going to look like this. This is kind of an outlier case of, hey, this card happened to take over this game. Oops. Now I'll ask you to ask me the same question if you will, please. Yes. Now... The question for you is, how do you prepare a dragon egg? No, I'm kidding. <laughs> nice little callback to the previous. Yeah, a little salt, a little salt, a little butter, over easy, preferably. I like to do the man of the woods cooking style, so I need a nice bubbling creek. I'm going to need a nice, it's got to be cast iron, right? I've got to get it to approximately 600 degrees. Just a, a light oil and then drop when it do you think? in the bubbling of the creek. When do you think is the appropriate um, amount of time to be uh, editing your cube? Uh, I would say I like to overview before I go into a draft based on my previous mm. drafts. I don't know why I do that. It's a little lazy, meaning like the last time I played, I may have received some feedback that I've kind of read about or I've done some, I've, I've, I've read some blogs mm. or I've looked at other curators cubes and uh, I've listened to podcast sense. So the Uber cube podcast, I heard it's really great. And then I'll get feedback on kind of, you know, maybe this card is a power outlier, et cetera, et cetera. And then I'll make the decision to migrate it probably 35 minutes before our next draft. It's a bad habit that I have. Uh, for instance, Christian's coming over tonight. 
night. I knew that I had benchmarked about four cards in my horror cube from KubeCon that needed to get swapped out because I had received feedback on that cube as well. Totally forgot about it. New Christian's coming up tonight. Wanted to draft it, see how they're doing. And I said, oh, man. And I started just going through my binder and swapping them out. So I can't say that there was a real strong pattern. Of so I actually, I actually have to have a suggestion for you. Put a yes. post-it on wherever your cube container is and like mm-hmm. have it where on like, on top of the cards to say play the cards first something to remind you <laughs> to not just immediately switch before it happens so that way you can actually sit down play the cards again and then see if you still have the feel same feeling give it a second run so you can't be told a second it, time if you're through, not passing the same people it was it was. I, I, I failed my own test. The, the next one that we have written up here, and this is, I'm going to direct this one for sure. you, May. I have some thoughts on this one. And it was discussing the pack, the, the power of the pack one, pick one. Yep. So I, I've heard various. There, there's a lot of thoughts on this. It, there's the thought that it has value. The other one thought, uh, there's the thoughts that it's just showcasing. Uh, there's other thoughts that, you know, that it has, that new players can learn from it because they can see what others can choose. There's, there's all these different stories, right? People have different opinions about the idea of a pack one, pick one, and what whether or not has any value. Uh, I have my thoughts, but I want to sure. Your I am on, as far as making. Choices. I am in the boat that in terms of making choices for a pack one pick one, I don't think that it is important for the overall draft, but it is important for dissecting the overall themes, identity, and whatnot of the cube. And when you have a well balanced cube, it's able to convey whatever its themes are trying to do within fifteen randomized cards. If that makes sense. Yes, and I would. I would yeah, and I'll add to that, and I'll say that if I see a card that gets too picked, and I keep seeing the word slamma jamma <laughs> over and over, uh-huh. again, right? And we'll use, we'll use, we're, let's use Soul Ring, which I know is a. I have, I have a better outlier. Once upon a time. Because yeah. that one's yeah, actually yeah, yeah. relevant strong, in my environment. Yeah, 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 yeah. In context, in context, your environment. But it, 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 let's do one that's just more sure. egregious. Let's just sure. do Soul Ring. And what I mean by that is it's just an, it's an eyesore. And I'm going to put that in the. A popper cube, just just to be this right. be dumb right now, okay? Let's just fo- follow follow me on this journey. And if if people keep saying slam a jam a slam a jam on the soul ring, it should really be screaming to you that multiple players from multiple groups strongly believe that this card is the best card in this entire pack. But the context of the pack has changed over and over again. But they keep pointing out this extreme outlier, and I know that's a absurd absurd idea that is made there. But that's where pack one pick ones. If you distill it down to uh, you want to find out, like, if you're running a card, we'll use the, the adventure cards you were just talking about. I and mean, again, it keeps getting picked over and over again by multiple players. Is there slamma jamma? And I, I don't know why that term keeps coming up all the time, but it does. Or uh, grab that really fast, or you're not going to see that wheel. Uh, it's, it is an indicator of a power level of a card, and I do think that it benchmarks it that maybe people are starting to notice this is too strong in context of this environment. Do you agree with that statement? Uh, context matters. That's what I have to say about it. Context does matter. Yeah, 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 yeah. So another note that I've put as far as this is thematic cubes are more subject to this unbalancing. And when I say, uh, and I'll even add like popper cubes and peasant cubes and all those. They're, in, in my opinion, they're easier to unravel and unbalance the storytelling by putting powerful cards in there, especially thematic based cubes like the Fey cube. If I put a card in there, it's just, Super, and I know it's just one card out of what 385 or whatever it is. I do realize that, but if you start using that, is it's okay to keep adding cards to that power level? It's going to change the entire identity yep. of the cube. The whereas in the power vintage cube online, the MTG, right? Uh, they change card. They change cards like nobody's business, and I understand why they do. And you can see huge Money, power baby. swings in that cube. Yeah, they'll keep swinging back and forth, and it makes sense, but it also doesn't get so... The scales on that cube doesn't tilt so heavily. Whereas, like, maybe people identify the White Weenie deck within that cube is hyper-powerful, or aggro is very powerful within that cube. It's also easy combatable, whereas in a thematic cube environment, uh, if you start making too many changes and offsetting it too much, you can really throw throw off that balance of that cube pretty quickly. Would you so I think... That? It's not a matter of agreeing or disagreeing. I think that the bar is set significantly higher for MGG, MTGO's cube. And when you have things like these popper cubes, these thematic cubes, flavor cubes, whatnot, where you have a pile of this is a specific goal that the curator has in mind of a bunch of low power cards and then just this random power outlier, say soul ring, just thrown in, just willy nilly, then 
it can warp the environment for whoever ends up with that card. However, however, because most cubes run about 360 up, it tends to balance itself out by proxy for everybody else. Yes, I would agree with that. So if I were going to throw this, let me throw another cog sure. into this. Thematic cubes. And I kind of mentioned this before. We just did the Brothers War, and I have an artifact cube. So you can imagine what that did uh-huh. to me. Or when I have a horror cube and go to I have Eldrin coming up. How about you? Well, that's what I was about to say. We're going to go to Eldron, and we're going to go back to yep. Morrowind. Imagine how how that could actually debase or just break the foundation of your cube if you didn't curate responsibly. Didn't if you made brash. If basically, I'm saying if you added too much, you could basically throw. Oh, one hundred percent. That excitement level will. That excitement level is gonna be there, right? I mean, there's gonna be more food, and you wanted to do a food yep. deck, right? But what what method are you gonna use? You know yep. they're coming, right? It's that coming. Coming. My, my, mine's passed. We just went through Midnight Hunt with me, and we just went through you know Brothers War, yep. etc. And we're gonna go to Phyrexia again, which is probably gonna get me some more. As we start moving over to yours, your now your curation testing is so, about to happen. Your your response. So I'm curation. actually gonna be a little bit of a shill for the cube community, just as a whole. And what I want to say is, is that if you're a curator, you should participate in the surveys that Lucky Paper Radio puts out. Just saying. I would agree with that. I would agree with that. Because when you do the surveys of cards that you're speculating about, cards that you're kind of looking at and kind of considering throwing them in and being like, okay, I can look at the list and be like, here is kind of the cards that I'm interested in throwing in. Here's some of the things that might just fit in this environment. So, for example, I did it with uh, Dominary United. And I ended up throwing in things like Phoenix Chick and whatnot, but I didn't immediately throw it in. I sat on those cards, I put in the survey, and I reflected on them. I, like, put them on my maybe list. I kept looking at my colors that I wanted to put them in, so say, like, Phoenix Chick and whatnot, and I kept asking myself honestly of, does this provide anything to the things that I'm already doing? And then ultimately, after Dominaria and the survey ended up um, passing, you know, by the time you couldn't answer it anymore. And after Dominary United has been out for like a week, I've kind of sat and digested right. those thoughts and digested that maybe board and been like, okay, I've now thought about it. I've ended up with like a Phoenix chick by proxy. And I've kind of decided, yeah, that's something my cube wants to do. I already have things like Magma Phoenix. I already just need more aggressive one drops. It was, even though the subtypes don't match anything, it doesn't matter because it's just a good card. You exactly, on it. and that's my biggest advice. So you're not having an emotional, right? And that, that's that is the advice, so that you don't tilt the so you don't get that overinflated tire or a flat tire. That's that's best analogy I can offer today. We're gonna t- you don't want to overtip the scales by making too many drastic resist. Tires. Although the new squeaky thing is coming out, resist, resist, notes. digest Slow it. Slow down. Don't listen, listen, listen to May, not Anthony. Uh- <laughs> you want to take you want to take your ice cream uh, cone so- and you want to lick it, then you want to savor it. And let it just salivate in your mouth for a minute. And then you want to take a bite of the ice cream cone after you're sure you like it. Absolutely. So let's talk about some of the feedback. I've got some specific scenarios. And then how the decisions were made. So when we went to KubeCon, um, they, they... People played my Uber Bears Artifact Cube, as I've said a hundred right. times at this point. And another another card that was a significant outlier was Kappa Cannoneer. And for five colorless and one That's blue, cool Artifact Creature, Turtle Warrior, 4-4, four, four, Improvise, which is a whole bunch of fancy stuff where you can tap and reduce the cost by tapping. I love Fake Affinity. And it has Ward, Ward 4. And whenever an artifact enters the battlefield under your control, put a 1-1 counter on Kappa Cannoneer, and it can't be blocked this turn. Well, what I missed with this whole thing is when it enters the battlefield, it automatically gets a 1-1 yep. counter on it. So it becomes a 5-5 five, five out the gate, Ward 4, and it be, and it got reduced cost on it, so people were casting it like extremely fast. And it's hard mind. to remove. Meanwhile, I'm over here. And as a curator sitting across the table having this happen to me, I had to make believe like, oh, I knew this was going to happen. <laughs> It was I horrible. Think... I'm like, it didn't even take. It didn't even take feedback. I got beat <laughs> to death by this card repeatedly. The feedback was you. You so, were. The feedback was me. I didn't need anything else. I'm sitting there going, "Oh man, I'm thinking to myself." And I, I, this one person's like, "I, I crushed Uber Bear, the Uber Bear cube." And I'm thinking, uh, uh, "Yeah, you did." But I'm pretty sure Uber Uber Bear crushed himself because <laughs> I put Kappa Cannon here in my cube and got beat to death with it. I didn't You're not sitting in traffic. Level. You are I, traffic. I, <laughs> I was nearly speed bump, and it was it was awful, but it was worth it. So then, 
I came back home. I, I, you know, I licked my wounds, and I feel better now. <laughs> and they released the Sir. Brothers War, and they and I I, I kind of like some of the pieces of Kappa. Not all of them, especially the Ward 4, which basically turns your path to exile into costing 5 to even right. deal with this thing. It's awfulness. I went ahead and went with Surge Engine. And for two colors, you get an artifact creature construct. It's a 3-2 with Defender. Pay one island, Surge Engine loses Defender and gains. This creature can't be blocked. Or you can pay two and one island, Surge Engine becomes blue and has the base power and toughness 5-4. Activate only if Surge Engine doesn't have Defender. And then for four and two blue, you can draw three cards, activate only if Surge Engine is blue and only once. That's a lot it's of text. A, it's a lot of text. It, it kind of, it kind of met the a couple of things. So it met the flavor almost. If you put the pictures side by side, one's a turtle and one's I don't know a beach spider thing. And but they're kind of the same contextually as far as the storytelling. Right. Uh, once a con, the once the one the surgeon is actually a construct. So it in fact actually falls into my archetypes better than or my factions within my subgroups. Uh, I have a construct a construct right. sub theme, so it kind of made more sense. And it just, it was also a mana sink, and it was also a fair magic card. Uh, and it took me actually seeing that card in action, Kappa Cannoneer, getting beat to death, and then getting later stories of people that got beat to death to find out that it was a poor, you know, you got to yep. learn, right? It was a poor decision. I consider myself a mature curator, but I totally overlooked the power of Kappa Cannoneer. <laughs> The first group that I talked about, the Kappa scenario, that was more of a, a live event that showcased the problem right. with the card, and I was able to take take action when I got home after receiving a large volume of feedback. Okay, now we're going to move over to my horror cube right. environment, and this is a second subject, and this is one that's been established over a long period of time that the werewolves weren't as powerful as the other groups. So then I, as a curator, challenge accepted, began to overinflate and it still hasn't gotten on there if I'm being truthful, but I have overemphasized them too much that maybe I'm throwing the scales off a little bit where even in the case where I'm, I'm a huge proponent of symmetrical guilds, even if they're utilitarian sure. or not, I really like to have it. It just looks pretty on paper for me uh, that I've started tilting it so that Gruul gets more backup. So I've added both Arlen, the Arlen Planeswalkers, which is a little bit rich, but then I've made another, we're going to call this a quote unquote, and I mentioned this during the Halloween special, a curation mistake. And you know, I didn't realize that it was a mistake and it perhaps it's not until I said it out loud and Stu caught it and ran with it in the episode. If you haven't heard this, listen to our Halloween special 2022, but we were discussing Rancor and Busted. for one forest, you get an enchantment aura. enchant creature gets plus two plus zero and has trample. When Rancor is put into the graveyard from the battlefield, return Rancor to its owner's hands. Well, I don't. I was so streamlined. So I had the I had the horse blinders on, right? Yep. And I'm just trotting along, and I'm thinking, you know who wears rancor? Only werewolves. <laughs> and Christian just almost spit his beer out. I don't know about that. Because you know, and, and that when Stu started reading this out loud to me, and I'm talking about yeah, 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 yeah. During our last, it was literally during a podcast that we're doing, and he and I'm talking about how I've added rancor for werewolves. And he's like, you do realize that uh, anything can wear rancor, right? And I'm like, yeah. So, but. And then I just immediately just clam up and say, well, you know, I just want to write on there, only werewolves can wear Rancor. <laughs> but my point is, is that <laughs> I'm trying to counterbalance and help a group out that has shown weakness by, I guess I got belligerent at this point as a right. creator, right? And I put Rancor in there thinking that this is just completely, uh, or excuse me, not realizing it's agnostic to whatever uh, group or faction or subtype it goes on, but rather people are just going to immediately see this and go, you know, humans don't really like Rancor. You know what likes them? is Rancor wolves. don't care. Rancor go wherever. Yeah, Rancor don't, Rancor don't <laughs> And this is a curation, mis that's a curation mistake. And I have, you know, it probably could have survived just fine, but it's not a pivot point or a point of repair to fix that flat tire that the werewolves have. All that was doing, and as Stu pointed out there in that episode, is making the potential that Simic could get a hold mm -hmm. of it. Right or Selesnia, and it could be humans or a flyer. It doesn't matter. A spirit would wear that. A bant spirits would gladly wear rancor, and it would just continue to perpetuate the problem that I was trying to do countermeasures to help bolster up the were uh, werewolf faction. Right. And at the end of the day, it not realizing it's completely agnostic and didn't care anyways. It was. It, it, I'll call it sloppy curation on my part, and I'll just own it. How about that? What do you got? What do you got to say about that, May? Uh, if you're expecting me to beat you up more. Yeah. I'm not going to. <laughs> yeah, 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 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I, I just, I'm just running the crucible <laughs> at this point. Like, come on, come on, come on, come on, come on. No, yeah, but I, I kind of, I kind of learned from that, I guess. Which moves over to my third in progress lesson, and I've got, a, I have a um, La Femme Fatale cube that we've talked about on a previous episode that basically celebrates all the. Uh, I guess the particularly the female gender in the magic multiverse, just because it's cool, and I thought it was underrepresented, if that's fair. And so it didn't take me too long to realize that most of those cards that had that particular art style in them were actually very uh, aggro-oriented, like the just fast, I meaning like yep. efficient cards. A lot of like female arts with... Uh, with they're humans, they're they're like two ones, <laughs> <laughs> and so I, right? And I started putting them in the box, and then I started realizing, oh man, they're just really fast, and I what I didn't have any mid range. So just one of doing the things I learned stuff, after multiple fine. drafts, yeah, 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 yeah. After multiple drafts, like running Lelia the Blade Forge and all that, which I've since taken. I on, mean, I also think no that reason. that's on you because no... Lelia the Blade Forge is. A... I made a mistake. It's a strong yeah, it was, card. Yeah, it was, it <laughs> It was in my power cube. Why can't it go in my thematic sometimes, cube, right? yeah, Sometimes I mean, yeah, you just so gotta bite the bullet and be like, all right, I added a big, dumb, powerful card. <laughs> my bad. Which I am. I'm running the yep. crucible right now. I'm literally putting myself... You guys just throw eggs at me <laughs> as I run this course. But uh, it it took that feedback of just playing... And this is one of the examples we're using this one on my changes and making course corrections. This one actually took multiple iterations of play to f- basically flush out that the, the aggro part of this the archetypes that generally right. spoke to aggro were too strong so as a curator i started doing more of a slow meticulous build up to mid-range to counterbalance it not to beat it and the way i did that was added card like Sarith the viper's fang for two colorless and two forest you get a legendary creature human warlock warlock excuse me a three four and she reads as other tap creatures you control have death touch and other untapped creatures you can hexproof. And then for one colorless, you get to tap, untap another target creature or land you control. And so. <laughs> May. Yes? Go for I it. am going to put you Go on blast here and ask, honestly, Let's, are you sure that you're not overcorrecting the problem after you already just removed Lelia? I know I am. That No, I, I'm 100% I am. Look what yep. I did there. I literally put these three down so you could throw rocks at me or whatever you had close by books. So. I don't care. But. I your wanted, sequence of progression I, the best here way for people to learn is through right? mistakes. Yes, your sequence of progression was yep. wow. I want to throw in all these fun <laughs> aggro cards. Wow, wow, Lelia is so cool. And then it's just like, wow, this was a dumb yes. card. Not only did you cut yes. Lelia and all these other aggro cards, but you also improved mid range. Yes. So what ends up happening is that after you cut this big gaping hole out of aggro. Now you just have this pillar of mid-range. Pillar, giant walls that are big green do-nothings. Yep. Yes. And this, this, this is the point of this episode, is to show the causality of these decisions, right? It's, uh, it's, it's tipping the scales, and you're never going to get it right. And the reason why I put these three absurd examples out there is so that everybody can see that I, Anthony... I'm constantly running the crucible, right? And and May's just one of many that have looked at this and go, "Why are you? <laughs> Why? Whatever compelled you to think that that would be okay?" And you know what? But that. But then, she, as you noticed in her in her uh, observations or her you know constructive criticism, she gave a reason, and then she explained to you that I'm making a hole here, and I'm I'm basically digging sand, making a hell over here, and then realizing I have a hole that I have to fill out, so I have to move more sand. I mean, it's just the way. It's a never-ending battle as a curator. Would yep. we agree? Yep. And so I got a few final questions that I think we sure, sure. before we start moving out. Uh, May, how often do you update your cubes, just generically speaking? Uh, well, I can actually tell you how often I update my mm-hmm. cube. And it I have managed to cut down my cube updates to around twice a month. However, okay. however I used to be updating multiple times a month around once a week because i used to be not only getting more data online during earlier versions of the cube but also i was playing online with my girlfriends and whatnot which was giving me immediate feedback which i was you know also leaning into but over time i have gotten better about oh i have almost 90 followers on my fake cube i need to hold my they need to hold me accountable and keep me honest that I can't just make changes without reason anymore. I'm not just going to throw a three, throw things in willy nilly just to test out the waters anymore. Now I have to have like a. Now I have to write out my reasons of okay, I'm throwing this in. 
I'm aware it might be a problem, but I'm just going to test the waters. And then after I started testing the yeah, waters, yeah, yeah. I was like, okay, I was wrong. I'm going to just, I'm just going to undo that yeah, and, and pretend I, I, I didn't do that. it. <laughs> I would say that within our particular, our, our group, our circle, of, you know, Chris and Christian yeah. and Stu and all, uh, this huge consortium of individuals we have, most of us have mm. cubes. And we do give on the fly immediate context to, hey, uh, I think this card, but it's normally like right. post-game. And it's kind of become part of our like, right. system, but it's it's more thought it's more thought out. Like uh, I observe that maybe your reanimator package might be a little strong in here. Uh, I think we should keep mm-hmm. an eye on it. Or Stu will say that I think you've got Avenger Zendikar and such and such cube, and I think maybe you should put a pin in it. I think it might be a little too threatening this environment. Let's give it mm-hmm. a few more goes. It, it's just a way of processing that. And I think if you can get your group to agree yep. to that kind of social contract of talking it out and then kind of everybody being vigilant because it's everybody's right. game, right? It's a community based game. And so that'll also calm down your curators from making just insane overcorrections, right? We're 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 steering and counter steering all the time right. too much. But if we can get everybody to work together as a, a you know a collectively on the cube development and curation, it'll run a lot smoother and it'll kind of tailor it. And then we can identify what what all these spikes want and, and the timmies, yep. et cetera, right? And the power players and everybody can kind of get a little voice in that, and it'll help refine the cube yep. environment. So closing thoughts: uh, consider multiple games if an archetype. Or a faction or a subtype continues to fail or be outclassed, then you can make decisions, but make them, we would say, wisely based on data, right? Don't just do it haphazardly. It's just my personal advice. Overcorrection does happen in a cube. Uh, I update every new set or wait for cube feedback from community, uh, you know, research, uh, papers like White Wolf has great papers. Lucky Paper Radio has great set reviews, et cetera, et cetera, right? Uh, you can get a lot of advice from your cube community before you make decisions to add cards in because you can, you, you, it may not be in complete context to the environment you're supporting, but it does have value. Another recommendation that I have is keep a journal of card performance. And that, that's just kind of a mental note. Yep. Put a pen in it, right? Like anytime somebody says, hey, I think this card's a little bit too strong or whatever, just annotate who said it, take it into context and find out, you know, if, if that makes sense. And then you, the you as a curator, and we talked about this before, is how to process the suggestions from outside a lot of times the players may have limited context if it's the first time sitting down so maybe it's a good idea that you brief them or at least you help them understand the kind of environment they're walking so you can kind of crowd control a little bit if you will right so you're not getting a complete riot on your hands like why are you not running storm i saw you know yagmas will uh it, it puts it into context quickly the updating ideas that we threw out there i suggested order extra cards and then trickle them in over mass May suggested putting them into your maybe board, correct? And then and then kind of migrating them over after you had a chance to ruminate. Yep, and digest it. Just put it, uh, put a pin on it, put it in your maybe it. board, and then just really digest it. Really look at your colors. Give yourself play sessions before adding cards that you're considering to think about if this, yep. this actually improves the experience. And then how to basically use the feedback that you're receiving and listening to your players because uh, as as uh, May had suggested that you're trying to hit that target of yep, fun, follow right? fun, but you're you're trying you don't get to just project fun. <laughs> you got everybody's got to find it together. So in order to get that, you need to work together as a collective, and everybody's yep. give you good feedback and explain to you what their their logic is for their criticisms, good, bad, and all the right. above. Right? Uh, example example that we have with my buddy Chris, and we talked about it over a long period of time, and I've I've mentioned this multiple times was about using pestilence in, in his popper environment and that it was really strong in his popper environment but then he had the emotional attachment i think it was a beta or whatever it was really really old and had a lot of value and worth to him and so that emotional attachment but at the end of the day the card was actually a little bit of a detriment to his environment so we discussed yep. it right because it's kind of like that it was his squeaky toy and we didn't want to make fun of it uh and then uh discuss like we talked about limiting your cuts or try not to over tinker use a method feedback play testing community information podcasts content creators articles chill mtg etc uh we have a discord channel you can come into where we openly talk about this well i put a card out today and they immediately started giving me feedback on it right and then i'll leave you with this that old adage if it isn't broke don't fix it yep no need to break it more no need to make the no need to make the mid-range green pillar (laughs) when you cut your aggro cards huh isn't that isn't that right yeah absolutely 
Yeah, everybody learned something today. Throwing there my tomatoes go. while uh, I can. <laughs> May, I want to tell you of thank course. you. As always, it's truly appreciated. It is always a pleasure having you on the show. And we will do this again and again because I, I can't not. Because it's so much fun talking with you. I love talking stuff. about it. And it, yeah, I do too. We're both passionate about this particular game and curation of it. And would you mind telling people how they might find you and how they might reach you on the social media? Uh, well, you can find me at Magic One at Twitter. It's so long, so long as it still exists. Cough. Uh, you can also find me. You can find me yes, Magic M Y A G I C on Instagram, on YouTube, on Twitch, and on Tumblr now. So I have alternatives. And an Ubercube Discord. No, I'm not throwing in my Discord. <laughs> I'm not doing that. No, you can join my Discord. My yes, Ubercube I am Discord. in your Discord. You can come that is May, true. May, May is hanging uh, that out. That is there true. I am. I'm definitely there. <laughs> other than that uh if you love the show and we certainly hope hope you do because this was just a fun just a, a fantastic thing to talk about i love cube curation we would truly appreciate a five-star review on your favorite player you can also find us at twitter at ubercube mtg pod and you can reach us at ubercube mtg podcast at gmail.com or you can link us on our discord at Ubercube or hashtag Ubercube where you can talk to May and find out all these awesome things we're talking about in that Discord. You can also find us. We have a Patreon. It's uh, Ubercube landing site. And other than that, we're going to say the thing that we always say here at Ubercube is hap... Where'd you go, May? <laughs> we're going to... Let's do this again. You just want to see yes. me do this all on the side. All right, here we go. One more time. All right, she just totally trolled me. All right. And then we're going to, other than that, we're going to say the thing that we always say here at Ubercube is happy cubing. <laughs> May, are you killing me on purpose? Sorry. <laughs> did it twice. All right, one more time. All, all right, right, third time's the charm. All right, all right, one more time. Third time I'm a horse. All right. Uh, other than that, we're going to say the thing that we always do here at Ubercube. Happy cubing. Happy cubing. He's a horse.